turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. <laughs> All right, Tim, back in the saddle again. How you doing? How we doing? I never left the saddle, and boy, is my ass sore. <laughs> well, then it's good for me to be back on the saddle <laughs> with you, joining you for us on this fine morning. And for you listening, wherever this may find you, whether it be morning, afternoon, night, and everything in between, we welcome you. Thanks for being here. We welcome you to Dismembering Horror, episode 133 of Dismembering Horror. Mm. The podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and... Myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We dismember a horror film for you. Every week we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. And today we traveled way back to the year 2002 for the film May, written and directed by Lucky McGee. McGee, 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 McGee. (laughs) (laughs) McGee. Try to wrap my my head and my mouth around that one. McGee. Good old Lucky. What a great name, Lucky. Anyway, that's what we're doing here. Anyway is right. What are you doing over there, Tim? (laughs) I've got gripes. I got so many gripes. In life? Yeah. And in regards to the movie, but... Oh, interesting. Great. I've made my coffee too strong today. It's a little bitter. (laughs) I'm a little bitter. I had an issue with AT&T that's ongoing pissed off about that such as uh, the world you live in yeah i had some weird dream bs where it's like man my dreams i don't know about you my dreams have been pretty dark lately like yeah i was in i don't even know how to describe where it is so it doesn't matter but i basically it was like a motel it was like a uh, uh, side of the highway, kitschy motel with like little teepees out front. You know what I mean? Like that sort of 1950s, totally problematic, like theme motel. Mm-hmm. And I was out front of it. Can't exactly remember what was going on just before this. But like in the dream, no joke, I like turned And the guy was like, okay, so here we have these little plots of land, and that's where you burn yourself alive to, like, uh, pass on. (laughs) And I was like, they, like, had the, (laughs) they had, like, the materials set up for you. Were you just, like. I, like, they're, like, charred people, like, who had finished doing their thing. Were you just, like, whoa, hold on. Hey, what's going on here? No, I was like totally like, okay, yeah, I get it. Got it. I understand. (laughs) I was like super accepting of it. It's like, what is going on? And then I woke up. My alarm woke me up. But my God, what is happening? 
Yeah, I've had some weird, intense dreams this last <laughs> couple of weeks too. Uh, oh well. Wow, fun. Well, uh, <laughs> I think this uh, film. Something that worked about it was, uh, you know, I like anything that's dreamlike or operates within its sort of own world mm. film mm-hmm. logic, creates an atmosphere, much as I'm sure that motel created an atmosphere for you. <laughs> yeah. Had you heard of this film before or was it all like how much of it was a surprise to you? Um, no, I, yeah, I didn't, I, I. I think that it existed somewhere in like the like back of my mind. I I think because I you know it's it's from which year? Uh, now I'm forgetting. Two thousand two. It's oh two, right? I I very much had the feeling of somebody I knew. Right, like so, I graduated college in oh one. So that that was my first year in New York City. Was oh two. I mean, the 0102 year. Um, and because I moved in the fall, but whatever. This is irrelevant. My point is, is that that was a time when I was surrounded by other film and acting like people and students. Like I was still in, I was in an acting school at the time, but it wasn't even an acting school. It was a, it was a film, TV and theater like school so you had everybody there and i am convinced actually that like my roommate who was a guy from that school was somebody who was like oh man this movie because like i haven't seen it but it it seems weirdly familiar and so i think that it was just one like it's also stylistically familiar for that era but it's like, so of its era and the, the yeah. actors and everything. Yeah, it's a great time capsule. But yeah, I did not I had not seen it, but like it seemed strangely familiar. Yeah. Definitely like brought me by, right back to that time and when like that generation was in their yeah. their early twenties. I mean, yeah, I mean it's kind of like this early aughts indie dream team of yep. like you know my favorite Jeremy Sisto from what film that we reviewed? <laughs> wrong turn. No, what Indeed. is he from? Yes, yeah, from he's wrong from turn. wrong turn. Yeah, okay. and then um, <laughs> Anna Faris is just really like one I love of, Anna Faris, one of the funniest people alive. I yeah. think. Yeah, um, she's awesome. James Duvall as the punk guy who's remember he's that <laughs> yeah. guy in Independence Day who's like we got to get dad his medicine or whatever. It's that That's guy. right. <laughs> I, I didn't make the, that connection because he's like an adult in this yeah that's so funny yeah oh my god um and then our star angela bettis betis she was in let's see as far uh girl interrupted as far as that kind of mm. you know yeah in dc and i was talking about or whatever great great well uh to really start in earnest here we watched the trailer so are you ready for that yeah. I can literally hear a truck backing up in the background. Isn't that fun? Isn't living in a city fun? Yeah, it is. <laughs> was this uh, film shot in LA? It looked uh, like LA. It, oh, it's, yes, it was. Every it was, single shot, I was like, ah, that's that. Oh, that's that. It, they go it to Baller like, Hardware at one point, which okay, is down it was the street like, from me. Like, so, so, I mean, everything is shot in, like, 
the valley and uh, it looked my like east side to me yeah. kind of like all it was very much there's like, like the elysian park scene okay that's what i thought it was just like oh yeah it looked exactly like it but i just something i don't know it it was it was his cool. house it, it, is definitely in silver lake yeah like yeah oh yeah right anyway. he's the filmmaker <laughs> all right well uh, let's get into it then um truck or by you or not so are you ready oh yeah great all right from 2002 may you know how when you meet someone and you think you like them but then the more you talk to them you see parts you don't like the boy i saw today is different i like every part of him especially his hands hello don't be mad. You've been my friend my whole life. I need a real friend. So what do you do, May? I work at the animal hospital. When I left for vacation, my dog had four legs. Now, she only has three. You can't sew it back on, can you? I could. Oh, you crazy bitch! <laughs> Actually, I kind of liked it. Does this freak you out? Nothing freaks me out. Jeez, you're a nasty little thing, aren't you? You don't think I'm weird? Oh, Jesus Christ! Do you feel weird doing this? Oh, God, I'm bleeding. I know. This is weird. You like weird. Not that weird. Wow, the 2000s really transitioned us into the 2010s from the 90s, huh? I guess I mean that's how it goes obviously but it's just interesting movies let you see that boy did they <laughs> do you just look back and not fondness at, at eras being like what were we doing why are you what were we doing or what were they doing <laughs> what were we all doing it was a weird time I mean that's for sure um, yeah. post 9-11 baby just yeah. a nightmare, nightmare few years, at least, especially for me, you know, being I moved. To, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the show, but I moved to New York six days. I moved to Queens um, so I could see the, you know, the Manhattan downtown skyline from my back window. And I moved there six days before 9-11 and watched the entire thing go down. Uh, it was unpleasant. To say I mean, the least. I, I, I'm just trying to pick apart. You had a little like um, sc- scorn or judgment in your voice when you were like, "Yeah, those times." In like regards to this trailer, yeah, you know, I think that it was the. Hmm. How how can I analyze this? <laughs> Here's what I think was happening. We were coming. This is true for a lot of people, and I think for the world in a way. The 90s were a pretty, like, whatever time, right? Like, everything was kind of cool. Not for everybody. But, like, by and large, there were no, like, super big events. There were no, there weren't, like, in the U.S. in particular, there was not a whole lot going on. And when you come from a, like, a white, cis, male, you know, suburban world, like nothing had happened right like there was no there was no like um adversity 
We talked about this all in our our Scream episode. That's right. That's right. And then this thing happened and like the world turned upside down for for those people. And I think a lot of people that was really hard to adjust to. But like I think this film and that era like films in this sort of realm were like what you're saying. They were this weird bridge between what I think the next phase became, which is like this overemphasis on dark and gritty and realism and things like that. And the kind of fun, um, like, what's the word? Um, well, like the, the, the Pierce Brosnan bonds versus the Daniel Craig bonds. Yes. Yes. And so this sort of lands in between that or in the transitional phase of that, where it's like, it feels almost like it doesn't belong anywhere. And it's holding on a little bit to the Pierce Brosnan bond, like some of the things that make that unappealing to me. But it's like, it's it feels very much like a movie that's trying to figure out where to be. Because I mean, it doesn't y- fit to me in in anywhere. I feel like except you answered for this particular like couple years. But you just kind of answered your own question. Like, yeah, it fits exactly as a transitional movie. It's got right, this right. like Danny <laughs> Elfman world building land to it, and then this super super dark, but like honest emotionality. Mm. You know, and the themes explored. It's it's really interesting. It's yeah, like a. Yeah super messed up like if edward scissorhands you know 10 years before leaned into the fairy tale side more this was right. like leaning into what you're saying the post 9-11 well what's funny uh, too it, more it, yeah there's this um personal reality for me or like a uh, context for me i guess because like at the time like i said i was in new york so i had never been to la when this was made or when this came out so like if i had seen this then I probably would have been, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it more, but I would have, it would have been more novel to me. But now having lived in LA and kind of like, I know the perspective, I think, of the filmmakers and basing it off of people in LA, right? So there's that kind of, it's, a, I mean, it is a very LA movie because of that. It's just sort of imbued into it because that's who those people were. So that has an effect on my, like, my take on it, like, how how it affects me. Um, so maybe I would have liked it before. But in a weird way, it feels similar to <laughs> – don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're, this, like, on the same level. But it has a similar sort of vibe as Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive just is David Lynch doing his thing, but it's the kind of the same realm and era and like obviously the um it takes place in the same place. Like there's something weird about that era and about LA in particular of that era. The, and I don't really know what it is. Revealing of the the, the the stress point between the outward optimism of like the Anna Ferris character and you could say kind of, you know, uh the pre nine eleven Hollywood films, and then, you know, that tension point between all that and then the dark underbelly. Yeah. And the tensions and the insecurities. 
in this yeah. case. I mean, <laughs> you were you're younger than me, obviously, but do you remember? Like, I was, yeah, I was twenty two, twenty three. I remember this era and like how <laughs> just like even in the design, like the clothes and the like the furnishings and stuff. Like that was such a thing. Like Anna Ferris's character's place having this kind of this 1950s aesthetic, you know, the reds and the whites and the pleather and the or vinyl, I guess it would be couch and that's that's such a specific thing and it it's lived. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I remember living through it. It was it was a weird thing. It's kind of like the like the outskirts of rockabilly aesthetic yes, in a way. Yes, exactly. And it Mixed was with I mean, grunge. L- when I moved here in L- in 04 in LA, it very much was still alive. That that thing like holding on to that thing. It was the cool one of the cool aesthetics. And I feel like you know? that's, you know, exactly the Silver Lake East Side now like holds on to that and just sort of keeps it, does, it going yeah. in its own way. The the yeah, us I mean, quirky it, artists it's morphed, you know, into a more mid-century modern thing. Like that's, I mean, it's probably morphing into something else now. But the last 10 years, it's very much been that. But so it goes in these weird phases. But yeah, it's, LA is weird. <laughs> they, LA has this thing of holding on to eras of the past and like really you know, this weird nostalgia, uh, especially about the golden age of Hollywood kind of aesthetic. I always feel like it's not enough of that. Like we should, well, maybe you're just not hanging out with the right people, Ryan. (laughs) Well, no, like the literal (laughs) sense of like destroying old buildings. And like, it's this weird mix of like, we have the heritage sites and stuff like that, but then everything else that's built anew, it feels like so much of it is, just these like just weird prefab apartments that have no character or whatever rather than no let this is hollywood let's take the spirit of old hollywood and do something that's new charm versus well so that's an interesting point because and i don't know necessarily if that like applies in any way to this movie but what you're talking about is also this weird tension point in la there's a class of human beings here that want what you're saying. They want to, they want that nostalgia and to appreciate the history and to like keep it alive and all that. And then there's essentially corporate um, real estate that does not care. And as we know, we live in a world where corporate real estate sort of people get their way <laughs> so they're always knocking that stuff down they have absolutely no appreciation or or like care for that that's true but that's not that's not commentary on the people of la and what they want because i think by and large they're what you're saying they would love to retain that thing and they they really do hold up the history of of hollywood for you know example to this sort of glamorous glorious cool you know nostalgic thing and and you know and yet (laughs) you know the powers that be tend to just bulldoze it so it's like it's it is this weird we live in a it's a weird city because it's constantly being you know 
butted up against those two things. It's great. It's a hub of just all the energies at the forefront of society at large. I love yeah. LA for that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this this exists in New York. There's another version of that same thing in New York City. But, like, it's a very common thing. Like, all of the dive bars, like, the classic famous dive bars of New York in the last uh, 15 years or so have been demolished and, like, replaced with, like, you know, Louis Vuitton stores. I mean, it's it's insane. Like, all of the meatpacking district, this sort of classic dingy divey biker bar area of of manhattan is it's a mall now a high-end mall and all those places are gone like so so that's constantly happening and it's it's a weird thing to watch it's very much happened in la but like it's just a weird thing to live long enough to see those things get bulldozed and turn into something completely different that nobody i know is asking for (laughs) You know what I mean? <laughs> so, Tim, how would you summarize May? Well, should I rate it first? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I'm not ready, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm, um... I'm ready to move on, clearly, but, um... <laughs> I'm a stream. I'm a stream. I'm just a stream. That's it. Like, you can watch this movie. Sure. Go for it. Wow. Um, I, I was debating, I, I... I kind of loved this film i was debating whether to give it a buy or not fucking knew you would (laughs) (laughs) goddamn bastard um i mean (laughs) i mean come on um (laughs) i don't know but just like any films where i'm tempted to do that i just feel in my safe space giving it a very very high rent just i need more time to see how it settles but like yeah. between the couple nights ago when I watched it and when I was kind of watching clips of it this morning and doing my notes, I'm just like, <laughs> man, this movie's it's really it's re it's 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 succeeding and going all the way there and uh it's doing a lot of interesting things. And I hadn't like laughed so hard in a movie recently too. Like it's she's so funny. Like between her and Anna Ferris, I was just like having a ball. I loved being there with them. It was so funny. That's so, fair. Great. Well, let's <laughs> okay. Now how about that uh that summary? I was so <laughs> eager to get to. So okay. rent it for me. Uh let's see, May. Really a stream it? Well, I I'll hear why. <laughs> All right. I d I didn't like it. I mean, I just, that's just where I landed. I just didn't like it. I knew um, it. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Okay, so here we go. May lives in LA. She works at a um, animal hospital. <clears throat> She's a little odd, a little eccentric, maybe a little antisocial. Doesn't have any friends. Does has never had a boyfriend. Kind of stuff, right? So she's a bit of a loner. She has a a wandering eye. I guess you would call it. Since uh, she was a kid, her mother has shamed her for her physical right. imperfections. And that instilled in May an inability to make friends, which then her mother's response to that was to make her a doll that she has to keep behind a glass case, which May yep. has been May's only friend into young adulthood. And so, and that our, relationship with the doll has sort of created essentially this uh, 
uh, I would almost say psychosis. Um, yes. And through her uh, coming out of of her insular world and and like attempting to engage with other human beings, in particular a guy that she thinks is cool, um, it, it kind of you know it kind of puts the thumb on the scale of that psychosis and leads her to seek out making the perfect best friend or maybe partner hard to say but like companion companion is the right word um so she she ultimately goes on a bit of a killing spree to frankenstein together using all of her skills um that perfect companion the end indeed there's so much more in there we'll get to (laughs) it so you ready to get to it with our first section uh hang on let me think about it yeah i'm ready all right here we go what worked work like a charm what did work ryan you tell me from the get-go, you know what? I'll start with the Not beginning. Not to be confused with Geico, which can save you hundreds on car insurance. Go on. <laughs> the way beginning, starting with it just did that solid start with some horror and then cut out of it immediately. Woman like holding too. her bleeding eye, screaming. screaming. But we'll come back to that later. <laughs> so then we, we, we leave that quickly and we start off with the kind of like I said in the summary, this, you know, her just a few scenes with her as a kid with her mother. And like, boy, it just, I just, you know, as far as like theme stated, theme explored stuff, that's just what really, really got me with this movie. So we have the scene where her mom at the beginning, you know, and May, young May is like, you know, a a little hesitant, a little nervous to go meet the kids that she's with. And, you know, she's insecure about her lazy eye. So the mom puts on the eye patch and says, here, uh, you want to make friends? Then keep it covered. And there is like the movie, you know, it's in that moment then, May is hiding not just her eye, but her whole self. And it's just this heartbreaking first interaction where, you know, the kid just goes up and goes, are you a pirate? But then you just (laughs) can imagine this whole other scenario when it's like kids being kids, you know, I could see it more as that, oh, what's wrong with your eye? And, you know, oh, I have this. If she had been just like, it was a normal thing that her mom, you know, helped her get to, she would have made some friends, I think. But anyway, just thinking about that line in particular and just how it's perfect setup. Like, we, how do we get it so May goes so crazy at the end? She hurts other people. Um, (laughs) The craziest of ways. Here we go. It's planting the seeds for that. So I loved this, just that kind of like the moments, the childhood moments that sort of set the stage for what's to come. I agree. I think the setup of this movie is very strong. Cool. Um, <laughs> and then I said, I mean, was another big, big thing, first and foremost, was just the comedy. Angela Batiste, Bettis, Anna Ferris. She's so funny, Tim. Like, there's the part, I mean, I was just cracking up, like, the whole long scene. I loved her kind of extended, non, like, 
like how she tries to hit on, I guess, Jeremy Sisto as Adam. I think, yeah, um, Adam Stubbs. She like <laughs> is stalking him all around, and he falls. Oh, yeah. as- and it's just so funny because there's this mix where it's like she's all, "Oh, he's perfect. No one's perfect except for him." Which again is more just perfect, like theme set up what we're exploring here. But then just so clearly, he's just like, you know, he's he's a, just a dude. He's like. He's you know he's great because he's Jeremy Sisto, but it's like he's fallen asleep <laughs> at the cafe. So just that like mix of her fawning over him and he's like falling asleep at the cafe. It was just so funny. But that like I mean, so it's laughing throughout, but just like some big ones just to highlight her performance. Some of my favorite moments were like when she's walking by him on the street to try to get his attention and he they do he does see her. And he, he's just like, oh, hey, you know, how's it going? And she's just like so happy inside. She just doesn't say anything in response. She just kind of yeah. like smiles, looks around. It's just the way she doesn't respond is just this is the funniest thing in the world. And then like Anna Ferris's intro from the get-go, what's actually her name, is uh, Polly, of course, Polly. Like... She's this is the best comic timing of everyone. She's so funny. She, she really, I, I have to say, I, I, I don't. I assume she gets the recognition she deserves, but she, she is a comic genius. Like she if, is one of the great co- comedic actors out there over the last whatever twenty years. Right. If you haven't seen Funny Face, see Funny Face, everyone. Smiley I mean, face. It's Sorry, how funny good face she is. is the Audrey Hepburn movie, which is great too. See, smiley face is the <laughs> say Anna Ferris movie. No, Tim, perfect example of that. Like, like her just, you know, as example, she's great throughout, but in her introduction, we get like when she asks May, Oh, what are you gonna do for Halloween? What are you gonna be for Halloween? While she's kind of carving a pumpkin, she uh she says, I'm racking my brain, you know, what to do with my costume. And when she says brain, she stabs the pumpkin, and it's just like it's just perfect. It's just perfect how she does it. And like when she's, you know, it's great. I loved her character, just how, how outwardly she's just being herself and like flirting and hitting on May throughout. But it starts with after May compliments her neck and she's like, oh, okay. And if Ferris, uh, Polly, she's like, oh, you, you know, you should call me some night. You can come over. Well, and then she gives the, the world's most perfect pause, the comic timing. She's, you can come over and we'll eat some melon or something like that. <laughs> and what's so brilliant, just like what you said, her genius is like you read it, on, like reading it written down on paper. It's like, it sounds almost kind of like she's nervous. Like, oh, I don't know, you know, we'll eat some melon or something. But the way she delivers it is just like, like totally like it's not a weird thing at all you know we'll eat some melon or something like it's just so yeah just just as sort of a side note to point something out if if you want to be funny (laughs) this is not a rule but like what makes anna ferris so good is that a lot of people play like ditzy or or you know let's say dumb or they they play up the the clown aspect of a of a character right thinking that like oh it's just be flighty be ditzy whatever and a lot of time it doesn't work because it feels like somebody's acting the thing that makes anna ferris good is that behind 
all of the behavioral ditziness or like goofiness is a person who is aware of what they're doing. And so you have this, it's so, it's such a weird phenomenon, I think, but it's, it, and you see it in older comics back in the day, like Joan Rivers had it, Betty White has it. They are, you know, Betty White in particular, they're playing up the, the like ditziness with a point of view like they know what they're doing and that kind of bleeds through and it creates a more complex character and it, it it's 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 weirdly like i think the effect it has is that instead of us generally when we see somebody who's just being a ditz we i think we often kind of shy away from we, we just kind of roll our eyes like oh god like they they're clueless right they by having this other component of like a point of view or 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 a awareness of what they're doing it's like they're wrapping us in a, a blanket and like being like it's okay i've got you and there's uh, that ability to do that like having that skill really does separate comics i think especially women who have to kind of bridge that weird gap that they're asked they're being told that being funny is like being ditzy or being like out of it which is fairly sexist or misogynistic in and of itself but the greats were a have always been able to like bridge that gap marilyn monroe could do it like watch um some like it hot i mean she is incredible with that because she knows the whole time she's almost like looking it's a little bit like in the 2000s when we suddenly got a fourth wall break in comedy right it's a little bit of that without the actual fourth wall break where they're looking at us going yeah see i'm with you guys i know what's going on and so there's i just think it's a really amazing skill comedic skill to have and she's got it and she's always had it so like yay the end well, I think what we're, I mean, it's a knowing, I agree, yeah, it's, but I think it's more like, you know, as you're saying, like an awareness of who that, you know, <laughs> of those kind of people or whatever it may be who they're playing. But I think it's like an inherent knowing, like, you know, they, I, I do too. they have this yeah. awareness. And then I think where that, the appeal comes from, though, the thing that we're getting on board with and why it doesn't feel like gross and that they're making fun of people is that the performer... Anna Ferris, uh, she has a love for the character. It's like, no, no, we right, aren't like right. talking down to anyone. This is just like, at a certain point, it leaves intellectualizing it. It's just funny, but it's um, <laughs> yep. But having, I think, respect and loving the character, and then being honest with the emotions. Still, you know that these people that their her emotions, a character's emotions, aren't any less by any means ever. Yeah, and not judging the character as yeah. an actor not judging the character and that's really important which her right. the, in, lo um, the love for the character comes through yeah it's great her her and uh, observe and report is so funny another great Anna Ferris <laughs> performance i love um so yeah two great two yeah some moments i highlight with her just to get an example so funny um did, did you really not have i mean do you do you want to go i mean you must have had some stuff or do you want me just to <laughs> I'm just on the ride. I'm enjoying listening okay. to you. Okay, well, 
as far as getting into some theme stuff, you know, the a big one, the big one was the idea of perfection. Mm, and her, mm-hmm. you know, seeing Adam as perfect. So you have all these great ideas brought up and, you know, the, 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 the conflict brought up, the questions at large where uh, nobody perfect, you know, is like what, I, I guess it's it's like the you know the thing that you know um, I think Adam says to her at one point or is like you know it's yeah. it's okay kind of thing, but but in horror as we keep saying these tension points is that you know it's not the whole picture. There's this other side of the truth to it, and that in this movie is you know yeah nobody's perfect, but also you are perfect in another sense despite your perceived imperfections, you know. And it's just, again, like any kind of these inherent contradictions in reality that, you know, feel like contradictions to our our, our little human selves, I guess, uh, yeah, are ripe for exploiting for horror. And it's thought, did this, did that so, so well. Like Polly's mole, there's that interesting moment <laughs> where, yeah, yeah, Polly has this like big old mole on her finger. And of course, May sees it and brings up getting rid of it. And, you know, that, like, that really upset, really, really upsets Polly. Um, and then Polly's other girlfriend there, Ambrosia, you know, after um, they think it's so weird, you know, how May suggested getting rid of it, they kind of, you know, say, oh, what a weirdo about about um, May. But and, but it's, this, it's like this instantly contradictory moment where, you know, because Anna Ferris just said, uh, oh, you know, my grandma always said it's our imperfections that make us special. Yet, yeah. then a second later, they're calling someone weird, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but then again, that leads to another tension point that's so interesting is like that there's just love for this one is when is something being, you know, that question of always risking being your honest self, yada, 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 being your authentic self. But what if, coming with that at any given moment is something that really, you know, is crossing a line or really is, you know, coming from a bad place. That's, there is a scene that really sort of encapsulates that, that I liked a lot when she gets invited over to Adam's place or no, she invites him over to her place. I, I believe to watch his movie. And you know, his movie is this sort of, it looks like a sweet sort of 60s black and white little romance, romancy thing. And then it turns into a, a cannibal, you know, let's like cannibal lust <laughs> like scene, which is fun and cool and whatever. But the way she responds to it really shows kind of what you're saying and the line of disconnect that she has. Like, it's totally cool for her to be weird. I mean, Adam says it. He's like, I like weird. But she is almost taking, she's not, she's not just letting herself be. She's trying to manufacture what she thinks he wants. And that's kind of the line. Be yourself, be weird, do your thing, but don't try to then manufacture the this idea of weird based on what somebody else said because then you tip into disingenuous you know whatever and so she does that in that scene where she sort of like just doesn't get it like she's connecting what the happens in the movie to reality so you really see her kind of like like fall 
out of reality into this realm of like gray area of like, oh, well, isn't this like you like you made that movie. It's got people eating each other. Therefore, and you like things that are weird. So therefore, I should do what you did in the movie in reality because you like weird things and you're weird and I'm weird. So let me bite you. It's like that. That wasn't her doing something to like. It was, but I mean, I I guess it's important to mention that that was also just as much her being herself. It's not like she was trying to fake being herself to impress him. She was like, "Ooh, maybe I found someone who's actually down for what I'm down for." Because we've already had set up her, you know, pricking herself with a knife. You know. Yes, that's true. I think. I guess. Yeah. I guess the disconnect is that she is she's taking his invitation or his his sort of commentary of like i like weird and she's 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 disregarding him in a way like she's it's like she's taking it too literally and like yeah i guess you're right she's sort of i think it's one of those like what i was saying that tension point of like she's it's about how much can you risk being yourself if let's say (laughs) bloodletting turns you on and like yeah. biting to the point of bleeding, like turns you on. You know, she thinks she's given the go ahead to. Oh, you know, I found my my match in that sense. You know, because he's perfect. That's but then true. Yeah, that, that's interesting. That's because pretty, that's we more have accurate. That, what I love too is we have that direct comparison earlier with how Polly reacts to that too, mm-hmm. which is you know when she pricks her when May pricks herself and Polly sees it and May kind of does it without Polly's consent to her, her to Polly's finger. And Polly's like, ow, why would you do that? But then a second later, she's kind of like, oh, I kind of like that, actually. You're kinky or whatever, you know? Right. So so we've seen that, that, you know, May can see that's a possibility in someone. And then that makes it all that much more tragic later on, Polly's death. That was so, that, oh my God, that broke my heart, <laughs> Tim. It was such a good moment where, and Polly's is a great, great character for playing against May in that sense. And these ideas of like, clearly Polly's representing and Polly's death seeing um, someone who's, I do accept you for all of you, no matter what, May. Like, you know, we have Adam who says, I like weird, but then not that weird at a certain point. Sure, and then right. that leads to Polly going, I love weird, you know. and I did she, notice that. I, I really like that detail. Yeah, yeah. So that's leading to, yeah, right before May slices Polly's neck from behind, you know, May's able to bring the two scalpels out and Polly just thinks it's being weird to May, being kinky. But as she mm-hmm. says, I trust you. I know you'd never hurt me, May. And then just with like perfect timing, I mean, perfect as in it just works. I don't know. That's when May slices her neck. And it's just so heartbreaking as far as like, yeah, Polly is representative of, I do accept you for all your weirdness, even if it is dangerous in a sense, because like, I just inherently trust people and will always choose that. And then May, of course, that's when that interesting line comes up of like, what if quote unquote, being your authentic self is this urge to cause physical pain you know right it's it's i mean thematically it's a really interesting thing because it god it just i it's weird to say this but it's just so it's so indicative of la to me (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean i assume that this exists elsewhere but like i've lived in la for 20 years now or 18 years now so something like that whatever it is and it just 
that like I've had this experience. It's so it's such a it feels so much like an L.A. thing of, you know, part of why you're out here and part of what attracts people to L.A. a lot of the time or a certain type of person is their their own weirdness. You know, they they left their hometown because they didn't fit in there. And, you know, I've I've heard the analogy. I can't remember where it's from. It's like I think a comedian like uh, George Carlin or somebody says this, but I don't know if it's him. But it's like, you know, L.A. is where, you know, somebody shakes the crazy tree and, and L.A. is where all of the the crazy whatever branches or leaves or whatever land. Um. And that is kind of, you know, there is something to that, not to be reductive and just be like, people are crazy. But, you know, the the outsiders and the, you know, the antisocial, like the weirdos all, often do gravitate out here because they don't belong in their, you know, they don't fit in in their hometown. And that I think that's awesome. But <laughs> along with that, when you put all of those you know, unique individuals into a pot, you get a lot of weirdness, like a lot of weirdness. You're just like, just reaffirming why I love LA so much. This is so good. Well, yeah, I mean, I love it too. But along with that comes this jockeying to, to be safe and like protect yourself and let in the, you want to let in the crazy, but you want to protect yourself from the the too crazy. And this movie, very, like, that's why it's such, to me, an L.A. movie. And, and like, I like that about it. Don't get me wrong. But it maybe hits a little too close to home at times. <laughs> maybe that's why I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you, you um, mentioned it, but I got to mention again, Adam's movie was just so, like, is this so funny? Like, because as soon as yeah. he sets up, oh, yeah, you know, I'm out of moved here after film school or whatever, dropped out, whatever he says. And then you're just so curious. Like, I just loved the device of, like, this guy's movie he made as character reveal, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good. And as did he said, you, you know, did you appreciate what was on his wall? Um, Like, all of the, all the decorations he had up? There's one in particular that was a... It's sort of like an art piece that he like added to a poster of your most favorite uh, woman character from any movie we've watched. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you know me better than I do at this point, Tim. Um, you have to remind me. It's the it's the lead from Opera. When she's got the needles oh, on her. Oh, you mean my literal uh, rankings of that we did? Yes, in your literal <laughs> rankings. Yeah, so it's he's got an opera poster, and then he's added, you know, cool little details to it to make it more, even more artsy and and fun. Yeah, um, I love that detail. Like that's which it's, it says a lot about who he is as a character. Which, uh, again, is as far as, like, pushing us to attention point. You know, she goes in and sees his room first and how, like, kind of goth and creepy and death-imbued and, and, you know, weird it is, you know. So so we get her sort of trusting herself and risking opening up in this <laughs> biting-to-the-point-of-bleeding way that she feels, you know, the urge to do. It's just that great kind yeah. of, like... They're ping-ponging each other. Who's actually weirder? <laughs> right. Quote, unquote. It's so, it's so funny to me because it just, it's, I, <laughs> it's just so spot on with my 
experience or like my extended experience through other people in LA. Like I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine from from college. So a guy from the East Coast who 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 had moved out to LA maybe six or seven years after I did. And he had only been here for a year or so and, you know, was single and like trying to date and all that stuff. But it, I, we we went out for drinks one night and he was really wound up about this experience he had had with a girl. He's like, I just don't get it. Like, she's so awesome and she's so hot and exciting <laughs> and like, like – the first time we hung out, like we, we drank, like we got drinks and then like, she like pulled me outside and there was a sprinkler and she like made me run through the sprinkler in our clothes. And like, we made out like in the sprinkler and it was just this crazy, amazing thing. And now like, she's being weird and like not talking to me or like, she's just like aloof. And like, sometimes she's, she responds and sometimes she doesn't. And it's driving me nuts. And I was like, I was like, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's a lot of LA, right? Like you're, that, yeah, you're, now that's like, getting close to home. Jeez. Right. You're attracted because you come from a totally different place. You're attracted to the, the quote unquote, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. The, the crazy aspects of this person when it's the fun crazy, but you don't get just the fun crazy you it, like you get the whole thing like you have but to here's, like it's it, here, it's everything here's the conflict though tim like you describe that i don't think oh that's her crazy side in that good sense i think there's her authentic fun present side that is the one that sort of you know can enable that kind of moment to yes, happen i agree and yeah so i don't know that's but just, but, but along with that is you know all of the other components of that authentic self that don't necessarily line up with our perceived notion of what a, a person uh, how a person should behave right like the fun let's run through a sprinkler impulse is just one of many many other impulses that you new england you know dude are not used to and you gotta take you gotta take the whole package. You don't get just the fun. Let's run through the sprinkler impulses. You get all of the impulses if you want to date somebody and who is that's has what, that in them. That's what rep, that Anna Ferris's character represents is someone who like totally. does accept all those sides of someone. Yeah, and it's great. Again, um, <laughs> I just wanted you know mentioned Adam's movie that was so funny. I loved that as character reveal. Just the other Adam moment. I loved. I wanted to highlight Jeremy Sisto <laughs> was when he, at the end when May kills like his new girlfriend on Halloween, and <laughs> Jeremy Sisto his scream is just the best thing ever. It's just this like whoa whoa whoa. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I actually so when good. it happened I did it like I I like liked it and imitated it because I yes. was like oh that's hilarious. It's a satisfying. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> love that moment um one of the standout you know promise of premise fun and game scenes of the movie it, it, it's just I, oh god it was so good was this you know we get we're getting it side up, uh, set up where she wants to work with blind kids and she's volunteering <laughs> yeah. with blind kids and it's just this scene again this works it's just like the 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 met like when it when you're watching it it's just like oh my god this is just crazy and unique and intense and just so great 
And then thinking about it afterwards, it's just that either that's because or what's in addition to just the metaphors that's going on in it. But when May gets the kids, the blind kids to say, oh, here, you know, kind of feel this object, what it is. And it's her best friend doll in a glass box. And they're like, it's just a box. Da, da, da. And then someone says, oh, you know, the, the girl she's kind of befriended is like, it's what's in the box. Anyway, they, when they, they, in their, their excitement and touching it, they, when they realize it's a doll, they push it over. It breaks the glass breaks everywhere. And her and all the kids get their hands all bloodied up, their faces all bloodied up from crawling and touching their faces. It's horrific. It's dark. Uh, and it's great. The music is weird. That's when, like, the mo- one of the, mo- the moments the music was just, like, really clicking, I think. Mm. Um, and just sort of setting this, like... I-, I-, I don't know. It's hard to make something like that so horrific work. <laughs> and it just yeah. it just all came together in that moment. But then, like, yeah, so on the metaphor level, it's so good. It's like if the kids represent kids and therefore like her kid self, she was denied like that first instinct of, oh, it's a doll. Let me take it out and play with it. And, you know, just another, well, it's a great metaphor. That's not just a doll she holds onto. It's a doll behind a glass that's like, has a breaking point. The glass is a breaking point. And her mother saying, again, like, no, you have to leave your child self, your AKA true self locked away. You can't actually play with it. So to then have the force of kids representing your your yeah. child self, your true self being that force literally breaking it away because it is just just play with it. it's the right thing to do just play with the doll but then when it's built up so much you can get hurt along the way or whatever whatever then you know you know make your own your own um you know uh, uh, uh take your own meaning out of it from then but oh my god i loved that scene yeah i like that scene too i think you know <laughs> by and large the the things that really overtly work for me are those more overt scenes, right? Like, I didn't love every kill, but, like, the Anna Ferris one in particular, um, I like a lot. Uh, and I, re- I really like the, the, whatever his name was, the punk dude, the shirtless punk dude. Uh, like, that whole scene, I think, is really strong. And the kill is so good funny and too. fun. His yeah. reaction when he sees the cat in the freezer is just perfect. Where he's like, "No, I'm not going to be your friend." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and oh, and like, she has that moment where she's like, "Oh, now that you've seen the worst part of me, right. maybe we can be friends." You know, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I like the ending a lot. You know, to be honest with you, I really like the last. 30 minutes of the movie a lot. And that, you know, we can talk about the first hour <laughs> well, later. <laughs> how about that ending then? Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I thought the ending, I mean, yeah, I mean, the whole, you know, her killing spree, great, the whole ending chunk you just mes- me- uh, mentioned, but to focus on the actual ending ending, I, I thought it was so good because like, you know, it's leading to, she's going to sew all the, quote unquote perfect body parts of this assemblage of characters she's met together, parts that she's assembled. Um but you you're feeling like, yeah, but as grotesque and horrific at that as that is, that's what we saw coming. Like to really pay off 
and do more, it has to do, yeah, it has to do more. Something else has to happen. And it's that perfect thing where like, well, I don't know what it is, but movie surprised me. That's what I'm here for. And like, my God, did it, it do it just like, just fully and then some. I thought it was so good. And, you know, and I mean, but I'm getting to is the moment she, she's like, you need to see to her doll or whatever. So she carves out her eye. And then that in itself just worked so well because I'd totally forgotten the opening shot at that point. That's why I say it works so well. It works so well. It really is that like having its cake and eat its too and that's all right. We're, okay, shocking opening. We're in for a horror movie, but then you forget about it, comes back later. It's just perfect. But then like how all that plays out, of course, it's horrific as it is, but just the way like you fully see the visual of just her eye being placed on it. (laughs) And then- and then like that moment when she's like starting to hug it or whatever she's like nuzzling it and the eye just like kind of casually falls down the the model's face the mannequin's face so funny and that that was just like the movie in a nutshell for me and just what worked about it so well was just like the way the eye fell down and just kind of like fell against her and she wasn't really aware of it It it's just just, oh my god it was so good and then of course yeah. The best moment of the entire movie is the fact that the the Frankenstein body comes to life and reaches out to her. That, That's exactly that what I was going to say. And shocked, then I mean, I was like, oh, oh, shit. Well, that, yeah, OK, I mean, now I'm on board. That's exactly where I was going, Tim. Like that was, you know, the eye was enough for me at that point. But then having that the mannequin's hand reach out and touch her like that's. That's everything. That was so good. And like trying to think about it afterwards, you know, just picking apart why it worked so well after just feeling it in the moment that it was so perfect. Um, It's like, it's proof of the fallacy of her mom's words being like when the mom says at the beginning, oh, if you don't have a friend, you can always make one. And that's why she gives her (laughs) the doll. So it just sort of says like, obviously it's not actually you know, uh, caressing her face and giving her affection. She's now being forced to like, are you sure, Ryan? <laughs> well, I mean, you could think of it in the sense that she's moving it off screen, um, but and, <sighs> which works just as well. <laughs> so no, I didn't think it actually went into magic realism. Sorry, I, I want to firmly believe that magically <laughs> her, her creation through through her sacrifice, her creation was imbued with with animation, and came you know to what life. I mean. Hey, that works too. I mean, if you want to read it that <laughs> way, but I mean, in the sense of thinking, okay, I mean, even if you are reading it in the case of the movie that it's literally happening because of the magic, we know that that can't happen in real life. So then that just reinforces the mom's right, right. the fallacy of the mom's words of like as if you really can get everything from. Mm-hmm a built art, like physically artificial friend. Yeah. It is the tragedy of her character. Yeah. Yeah, Like even when she's gone, when she's finally succeeded in creating the friend that can give her physical affection, caress her face, how she wants it, accept her for who she is. It just ain't it. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. And then, I mean, and then, I clearly loved the rest of it too. The first hour that I guess you didn't because they were just all so funny. Anytime she was on screen, which she is the whole movie, it was, it was a great performance. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, <laughs> well uh, I guess it's now uh, time for it's your time. portion of the show, Tim. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say. Mentioned the early cool. aughts indie dream team. Oh, you know what? Last thing, just to compare it to, I think it was, I want to say it's another film we mentioned too, but probably Psycho, with where you have someone who's crazy killing people in that mode. And and when they aren't that, they're super socially awkward. And you just, mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. see that clear distinction between like what you could call their their awkward self and their confident maybe self-actualized self in a certain sense right. the phrase where you know when she's caring it's so clear like at the end when she's you know uh when she's hatching her plan to make her doll and head out and kill her her friends she's <laughs> she's making eye contact for the first time she's speaking confidently she knows exactly what she's doing and it's just like again like the tragedy of like if only she was able to, to do you know embrace her weird sides enough to just be that the whole time she'd be making friends but because of how messed up she is because of her upbringing or whatever it may be mm-hmm. sorry may feel bad i will say i really do appreciate the the sort of theme commentary whatever you want to call it of the effect of isolation on a human's brain it's so bad for us I mean, and we're living through a time that's forcing isolation to a certain degree. And it's like, we just know, like, (laughs) it's so obvious how unhealthy it is to not interact with other people. Yeah, I like... And like, um, you can see it on a very specific, like, very intense level, right? With like, if you imprison somebody and you put them into isolation, like, it, it really, it really destroys our brains. Like, we are so not built for that. And when so much more built for socially interacting, even if you don't love it, we are yeah. built for that. And then, I mean, she says at some point or, uh, you know, every when she says about the blind girl who kind of stays with herself, uh, you know, and the teacher goes, mm. oh, you know, she wants she likes to be left alone. And May goes, nobody wants to be totally left alone or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the top review on Letterboxd for this movie starts, this movie understands loneliness a lot better than most. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Great. Cool. Well, let's see uh, what kept it from at least a rent for you, Tim, in our next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? so (laughs) actually what didn't work is is almost too strong of a sentiment for how i feel about the movie it's like so much of what keeps it in a stream for me is is again this is for us right like you're telling yourself and my experience with this movie was so much of it was this very almost uncomfortable, like it's too real feeling and mixed with, well, mixed feelings about how we as filmmakers and storytellers depict women and mental health. And I just, I was, I had a really hard time 
getting like allowing myself to just get into the movie and 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 jump on board because I kept kind of feeling this hang up about like how do I feel about their version of of telling a story about a woman who is you know in actuality suffering from you know trauma as a child abuse as a child and isolation and you know struggling with mental health like I just I had a really hard time just letting go of that stuff for myself and just watching the movie. And so it just kind of it, it wasn't a distraction so much as just it 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 was a coloring to my experience of watching it that kept me from really enjoying the movie. And some of the stuff that leads to that I, or or kind of made it almost worse was how much of the first hour of the movie is almost slice of life filmmaking, right? Like there aren't a whole lot of like moments that, that overtly move her character's story forward. It's just her kind of living through these experiences. It's a slow roll toward the moments that really like get the ball rolling. And so I just had a hard time getting into it until stuff really kind of starts hitting the fan. And I think from a, I don't know, from a personal taste point of view, what I would have liked is sort of sprinkling the 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 events of the last 30 minutes into the second act of the film. So the third act is sort of, I think the moment of her killing the cat is kind of like, now, now the the boulder has has uh, or the snowball has gotten big enough for it to really start to accelerate down the the mountain. And I think that if I if there had been little like if that event or even the suggestion of that event had happened closer to the midpoint or even the early second act, I think it would have kept me in knowing having a sense of where we're going better and made me not feel like I was floating in a dream. Now, having said that, if that's what the filmmakers wanted you to feel, to feel like you're floating in a dream, then they were successful. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's, it's so much a, a kind of a taste thing for me and, and my experience of watching the film that kept me kind of like out of it. It's so interesting because, like, how you describe how it was making you feel makes me go, oh, so that's exactly what you'd want from a horror movie, right? <laughs> I know. So is it the fact that it was a horror comedy that... Maybe. And, like, you just weren't comfortable with all that when the first, you know, hour is more comedy realm, I guess? Yeah, maybe, actually, because now I think about it. Because, like, you love hmm. the other uh, Hollywood set movie with the woman... Uh, auditioning and falling apart. What was that called? Oh, yeah. Uh, that was called Starry Eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's something to do with how May, like May's characterization um, 
like like I felt very disconnected from her as a character even though I was like I get I get where she's coming from but I I think it's a really touch and go thing for me to watch somebody play crazy and there and I think that's what it is like this particular performance is it i think it just falls on the other side of the line of of like quote unquote playing crazy that i can get on board with well it's funny because like like this (laughs) almost almost a caricature i mean it is a caricature let's be honest yeah, but see, I mean, that's what's so interesting here. You say that that's what didn't work because that's exactly what I love of that really tricky line, especially, you know, for a horror comedy, but for something where, again, you do have this, like, bouncy score. You're sort of creating a world with a heightened character, heightened situations. I mean, yeah, yeah. you don't even, like, only in the movie world do you buy her escalating to what she does, you know? <laughs> right, right. So does... So, so the movie has to be, you know, you know, that'd be the, the slow mo uh, doll parts falling, set to to weird kind of bouncy I music. Like that. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's great. Um, but then, I mean, it sounds like what you're maybe uncomfortable with was that pushed up against the more naturalistic slice of life doing laundry scenes. Um, but yes. I thought that, in a horror sense, was just like I was getting. The best of both worlds. It was such an interesting combination. I just loved so much that it, I don't know, it got me to like really get invested in the characters as if they were, as if they were real people I could get invested in, yet also at the same time, they were heightened, you know, movie characters in a way. This is really, really interesting. And I don't know, I wouldn't want it how you described of the horror stuff to come any sooner. Cause then it's just kind of like, okay, it's just kind of a, a slasher movie, which it is in the mm-hmm. end, but how it subverts that, it sort of really saves it right. for the end and makes it about the build, puts it just enough in the more realistic side of the two sides I'm talking about here to just build that suspense and really get invested in the characters for who and what they are. Yeah, it's it's a weird... It's I don't really know what to put my finger on that keeps me out of it 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 does i think it has something to do with her performance and like the that that line and and again i think it is kind of a taste thing but it's like her her, her the aspect of her character that has this sort of um deer in headlights component i guess i think is part of what keeps me disconnected from her i i want us like the moments when she actually gets angry at the doll that i'm i'm way more in with her character in those moments because she's it is a genuine sort of like expression it feels like a real expression of her actual self and then all these other things are are an act and i know that that that's the point in a lot of ways of the character but it's i don't know i it's like there are 
Like it's missing some something in in like some moment of of acknowledgement or something. I feel is like missing for, for me. Maybe knowing you too, tell me how this feels. Is that like kind of like what I already said to have it be so upfront loaded with comedy? Well, like I, you know, I was just loving her performance. She was cracking me up. I was just constantly just entertained in every sense of the word by her by her performance. That on some level that was like undermining like these really tricky Maybe. themes because like yeah. this this guy this filmmaker I'd only seen his other film The Woman and that gets into like some really really tricky territory I I don't I remember not really liking that movie and loving this one clearly but um he's definitely someone who like you know emphasis on dark and dark comedy mm-hmm. so so I don't know and that can be it can be a lot. <laughs> it can be a lot more than if it is just the safety of like an overt horror slasher, you know? Yeah. I think it's, you know, yeah, it, it's, it is a taste thing in, in how, in like the style of dark comedy that I like, because please rest assured, <laughs> I really, really love dark comedy. It's like, a, it's very much what I'm writing. Like, even though I'm writing horror, like everything is sort of, you know, uh, imbued with with a absurd comedic sort of like like almost tragically comedic tone. And I think that maybe this movie lived in an era where that the the version of comic dark comic horror that they're doing just isn't palatable to me now. Well, it's absurd, um, but it's weird. not... It's weird. It's absurd, but not as far as when, you know, the, how you just said it and what may like. Like, this is yeah. so just... It's rooted in something really... It's, it stays on the, the, the heavier side, the more, like, difficult side, I think. It doesn't have the kind of... Um, it, it's... Yeah, it's not absurd enough to quite alleviate it all. Like as absurd mm-hmm. as you know the talking doll stuff is, and you know the, the how it escalates and or what or what it escalates to. There's still this like it's not like nihilistic, which I don't usually like. It's just it's just really dark. I think <laughs> you know the level it, it kind of mostly stays in, and you know to have a slice of life approach to so so much of it, it just kind of. Yeah, it doesn't alleviate any of that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to go in circles because I, I really don't I don't have a answer. Like I I'm not able to really hone in <laughs> yeah. on it. Totally. It's sort of just a vibe that I'm like, I just something just doesn't quite click. So I, I think the movie is good and I think what they're doing and what they you know, what I, I assume was their intention is working and you know, all of those things are good and it just doesn't quite feel right for my taste. The end. I'm not going to keep saying the same thing over and over again. <laughs> right. For Tim's taste, you can rent the thing from another world, piercing, um, Oof, babysitter. Piercing. Hell yeah. Oh, no, wait. No, this is me. Hold on. You. <laughs> you said, no, you rent thing from another world, rent piercing um rent 
trouble every day indeed as dark as that was that see that one it it was clear in that it was dark like you could say that is yeah. even like way more dark trouble every day I, no that's the thing it's not that it's more dark but it's like its genre is so clearly that by almost being yeah. more overtly dark there's like a safety to this is what we're doing here versus like may it's this kind of i don't know really has a way of being that dark, but getting under your skin by kind of like ironically not being as overt about it. You know what part of the issue is? It's such a it's such a me issue. It's <laughs> it's that this feels like a film made by people I know from a place I know with people I know in it. You know what I mean? Like it just it it's it's too hard for me to get into the film because it it's not a film to me. It's it's like. It's like a film about a film. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what I didn't like as much as uh, Starry Eyes, in a way. Right, right. <laughs> Which is funny. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's our little bit of an age difference there, is like I related more to like the people in Starry Eyes, so it was weirder for me. And maybe you're that's a little right, closer yeah. to like the Gen X age. So like <laughs> that these characters, I don't know. Yeah, I'm that weird little... I'm in between Gen X and millennials. There's, there's a, I, don't... I, I read a whole article on that, how there is that, like, I forget what they, what the name they came up for your, your type. Yeah, my, I think they my called it Xennials or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a micro, quote unquote, a micro generation. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, I mean, the only little thing I had for what didn't work, and, you know, I'm hesitant to almost say it at all, is like, at first, you know, when the movie starts, kind of like a lot of movies that are really doing their own thing, the quality of the music sounded a little chintzy. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if it was synthetic violins or something like that, but I, I was won over with, you know, the movie soon after through non-music stuff. And then, and then I like the composition of it and the tone of it was great. So won me over and worked in the end but just something it was just that little hump that i had to get over in the first few minutes when kind of getting my my sea legs it was just kind of the yeah. music sounded a little chintzy but whatever loved it cool all right then that's it for that so we got our next section here keep moving along things of note This should be interesting. I have a thing of note. <gasps> I, when the credits rolled, I just happened to be looking at them and saw none other than Ryan Johnson, famed director, was one of the three editors on this movie. Oh yeah, I remember hearing he like you know, was editing movies from his, of his cohorts. Yeah. That's, that's such a, it's such a cool thing to think about that 20 years ago, Ryan Johnson, who is now, you know, who directed a star Wars movie, right? Like that's, that's a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like you kind of don't get bigger than that. Even though, like, whatever, let's not go down the rabbit hole of what people thought of of his particular Star Wars movie, but whatever, he got a it Star for the Wars record movie. Yeah, and so the jury's out for me still. I've watched it like five times, but <laughs> maybe that means I like it. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's more than I've watched it, and I do love it. Like, <laughs> but that just that factoid is so. I just love that so much. I mean, it's like it's such. It's just so cool to me that this dude was doing. You know, he came here. You know, was editing indie features. And now he's one of the biggest directors around. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Great. I don't have much, but just, um, you know, I love when we when we have movies from before he passed away. It's always fun to see if Roger Ebert did a review on mm-hmm. the film. Uh, so just, uh, you know, just to read his last, his last paragraph here, just to see what he thought is always fun. There are so many bad horror movies. A good one is incredibly hard to make. It has to feel a fundamental sympathy for its monster, as movies as different as Frankenstein, Carrie, and The Silence of the Lambs did. It has to see that they suffer too. The crimes of too many horror monsters seem to be for their own entertainment or ours. In the best horror movies, the crimes are inescapable and the monsters are driven toward them by the merciless urgency of their natures. Their natures. Honest selves. Authentic selves. Cool. merciless urgency you know just that's yeah that's what drives her in this yeah it's cool. uh i guess the other thing of note it's not really a thing of note or it is i don't know um just the fun of of the setting and like being like whoa that's our neighborhood i love yeah. that stuff <laughs> baller hardware man it's I like go there i all knew the time. i knew it was it but like it just the, how it was a little longer ago like you know, yeah, 20 years true. ago now or whatever. And that there's no, like, you don't see, like, they don't have a Hollywood sign or anything like that. But it does capture the the indie grunge, uh, neo-rockabilly, uh, indie, like, all, all those words. Yep, totally. The, the, the uh, uh, lennial Gen X. <laughs> yep. It sure, it sure does. Making black and white films in film school. Great. <laughs> exactly <laughs> what was the song i thought of you right away when that film started up because i was like this feels kind of like the one you just did with max like in yeah. a park black and white yeah <laughs> exactly great um cool well if that's it for may then let's wrap a bow on on miss may here and uh see if we have which i'm sure we do some recommendations to wind down oh god Oh, God. Does that mean I should go? Yeah. Great. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been trying to see, like, there's, I forget if I mentioned this last time, like, specific ilk of films of, like, this, I'm trying to think, like, 60s transgressive films that are, like, you could say we watch Carnival of Souls, Eyes Without a mm. Face, Psycho is a first yeah. one in its own way. But this, these things that's, like, kind of both towing the line and really exploring and chewing on that stereotypical 50s to stereotypical 60s transition transition point i'm like wrestle with all that so i'd always heard of uh this movie directed by john frankenheimer i finally watched it from 1966 starring rock hudson seconds have you seen seconds uh i don't think so tim it's it's so cool um oh i also watched amongst this repulsion which is another example but Ooh, second, baby. seconds is the one i want to recommend dead just because like it's it's so cool it's kind of like it's almost got the feel of like an extended twilight zone episode in a lot of ways mm. 
but cool. But you know, a little closer to to late sixties, so it does a little more. But it's all about like uh, this older guy who gets kind of against his will signed up for this surgery to make him look about twenty years younger into like a sort of late fifties, maybe something fifties Rock Hudson, and okay. um. And and it's 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 like you have this whole like the the organization has this weird interesting feel to it, and it's got some really like horrifying moments in it when we sort of you know are are getting more seeing how deep this organization goes and just uh, uh, it uh, uh, it gets some really really interesting wow th- things and um then the filmmaking on top of that's really cool it's like the earliest example I've seen ever of the like body cam requiem for a dream thing. And oh, cool. a lot interesting stuff like that going on, black and white, and it's uh, it's got this crazy standout scene where it's like you know he's someone since he's older actually goes to um maybe we should just we should just review this movie <laughs> it'd be so much fun to do an episode <laughs> on it yeah it uh thriller science fiction I don't know we could call it horror I thought it was pretty scary moments but whatever rather than explaining the scene I was about to you should just see it seconds okay. Yeah, it looks familiar, but I haven't seen it. I think I've just come across people saying it's good. I, I'd like to watch more Frankenheimer movies. I don't. I don't think I've seen very many. Um, Birdman from Alcatraz, Manchurian Candidate. I've seen those. The Train. The Train is good. So I've seen some of the older stuff. Ooh, we should review um, Prophecy. Oh God, I haven't seen that in forever. <laughs> wow. I'll yeah, that. that'd be cool. I'd like to rewatch that. Um, oh yeah, he, oh wait, he did the French Connection 2, but not the French Connection 1. Interesting. What's your recommendation? My recommendation is a movie I just watched called, it's on Prime, I believe. It's called The Silencing. And it's kind of, um. It's cool. It's in this realm of movie that I like a lot. They're not always great, right? There's a lot of them out there, but it's it's a it's a little bit of a whodunit. I mean, it's very much a whodunit, Um, but it's kind of got this this vengeance, revenge like tone to it. Um, But it's got a couple really good unexpected twists. Uh, they just sort of they break the the standard structure of those movies by like having a couple things and a couple characters do like hard left turns that like normally you wouldn't see. So I appreciate it for that. The performances are all pretty good. It's got that guy, uh, Nicola. I can never remember his full name. He was a guy in Game of Thrones. Uh, he's got a kind of an interesting name it's like nicolage um (laughs) is how it's spelled but i don't know how it's pronounced but anyway he's great he was like jamie he was jamie lannister in game of thrones um but it's good it's a good like if you or just want something to kind of stream it's a very good stream movie so yeah it's fun great got some cool action it's in the woods it's it's very Canadian feeling, almost like Canadian wilderness feeling. And what's it um, called? So yeah, the silencing. Great. All right, like Tim. To- well, let's uh, see what we're watching next week here. Shall we? Yeah. Whose turn is it? 
Oh, God, I don't know. It's my turn because you read that. You're supposed to be going for the bell, not the hat. Oh, right. Wait, what are you talking about? Um, I'm just reaching into the hat and I pulled this out. Tim, we just need we just need three solid rings. That's that's <laughs> too go, much. Too much bell. Whenever I'm editing, whenever I'm editing it, I go like ah, <laughs> the ringing, the ringing. <laughs> um. Anyway, that bike bell, the skull bike bell ringing, means we are going outside of our hat pull pulls, and we are indeed watching a new release film. And Tim, this may be the most special new release film we're ever going to watch. (laughs) It's of the same name of a film we've already reviewed, but it is a sequel, not a remake. So I guess, but it's a kind of reboot since they're calling it the same, but it is Wrong Turn 2021, aka Wrong Turn 7. Wrong Turn holds a special place in dismembering horror's heart and being... (laughs) Boy, does it. Uh, I don't know if we're quite going to be able to watch Wrong Turn 2 through 6. That's the only down part about uh, reviewing this immediately and not making a bigger deal out of it. But maybe someday we'll hopefully get to that. And I think we'll be able to figure out what's going on just fine. Maybe not. I think we'll be okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but still, we'll nonetheless, I, I do appreciate <laughs> seeing the context, the full context of something. Anyway, I don't feel like I'm going to watch it in time. Very excited just to see the new Wrong Turn movie, as I hope you are yeah. too, Tim. Oh, very. How could I be more excited? <laughs> Great. After all this time, yeah, we've watched the trailer live on our show. We've read every single <laughs> announcement about it from like, uh, from um, whatever horror websites. But yeah, so we're we're finally doing it. Great. So here's my question. What what are you? What are the odds? Like what what odds would you take that the wrong turn twenty twenty one? Is it going to be more or less of a disappointment than the Grudge twenty twenty? Less, less of a disappointment. Okay, I'm. I'll I'll take that bet. I'll say it's going to be more disappointing. But I, I don't actually believe that. But just for, you know, the sake of parody here. I don't think I can be more disappointed than The Grudge <laughs> 2020. I can only be as disappointed. There's no way to yeah, get... Yeah, exactly. th- there's no way to be well, more disappointed. Let's let's test that theory. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. <laughs> Great. Well, until then, you can find us wherever you found us. Our big ask, tell your friends... If you think they might enjoy being here with us, we'd love to have Tell your friends. You. Great. And whether if you don't have friends, then hey, we that's what we're here for. Very happy to be your your horror horror buds in arms. So thanks that's for right. being here. We'll 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 reach our arm over next to you in bed and and put it o- around you and hug you like the monster the I guess it would be Maze monster. Right, maze, maze, uh, Frankenstein monster. So, if that may be your situation, uh, <laughs> no matter what, in closing, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Good goodbye. goodbye. <laughs>